can't overturn your blessings. Amen. So it's in uh, Numbers 22, verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of a field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of Moabites at the time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth. They are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of the Midian departed with a diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam. Now, here we have the children of Israel. They're at the Jordan. They were at this place once before. This is where Moses sent out the 12 spies, and 10 came back with a wicked report, and... Um, of course, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report, but it turned the hearts of all the children of Israel against the Lord, against his plan, and, and from there they had to go back into the wilderness because of their unbelief and travel for 40 years. Well, now that generation has passed, a new generation has arisen, and now they're right there again ready to enter into the promised land. Now, as they're traveling that way, God speaks to Moses and he says, leave the Moabites alone. Leave the Amorites alone. And the reason why is because, A, they weren't in the land that God wanted them to go, but B, because they were actually Abraham's, they were descendants of Lot. So they were part of Abraham's clan, if you will. And so God was, God was being uh, kind to them. He was not going to go after them. He was actually going to say, he told them, just leave them alone. And when they came on their, uh, on their journey, they actually approached them and said, hey, you know, if we go straight through your land... It'll be quicker for us to get to where we're going. We have no, no qualm against you, no beef against you. 
We're not going to drink your water. We're not going to use up your land. And if for some reason something happens, we'll reimburse you. We're not interested in a fight with you. It's just that if you let us go through your land, it'll be a, a lot easier versus going all the way around. He did that to the Amorites, and, and they didn't like that. As a matter of fact, they tried to attack them. They not only said, no, you're not going to come through our land, but they attacked them. And so what happened is the children of Israel then just turned around and annihilated them. And now Balak, he sees this. He's, he's like, okay, this, is, this isn't good. You know, he's watching these people. He heard what happened to Egypt. He sees what they just did to the Amorites. And now he's watching and he sees this cloud over them by fire. And he sees all this supernatural stuff going on around them. And he's like, man, he's afraid. Like, we're going to get wiped out. Now, what's interesting about Balak or the Moabites is that they're descendants of Lot. So they know all about the God of Abraham. They know how powerful he is. They know what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. They know what it means to worship him and what the true faith is. They know all of that. But here they are worshiping a false god called Chemosh. That's how I pronounce it. C-H-E-M-O-S-H. That's their god. Now this god is a kind of a a brutal God because he requires uh, human sacrifice. He really it's kind of like Moloch, the God of Moloch where they made them throw their children into the fire. But he's also kind of a crude God in the sense that his part of his worship, he wants people to have orgies. So it's really a, a, a very twisted and mixed up thing. And you know, they were so Back then, they were very superstitious. There wasn't an atheist out there. They all had different gods. They all were like, okay, we've got to appease this god, and if we appease this god with certain behavior and certain actions, we're going to get a blessing upon us. We're going to have favor upon us. We're going to, you know, the evil calamities aren't going to hit us. We're going to have some type of help and prosperity and protection. And so that... The devil used that to really get into their minds. To, and then when he got into their minds of what these gods wanted, these demons, if you will, then these people, you know, they did it with all their heart because they wanted to be blessed. They knew that there were higher powers floating around in the atmosphere. And they seen it's They've seen their manifestations. You know, it, it, paganism is really an interesting thing. You know, there was, they had a, last weekend, they had a satanic convention in Boston. And, you know, they start out the convention where they, they rip open an, a Bible. They rip it out and they're defying God. Then they take out a blue flag that represents the police and they start ripping that up. And all these People are grabbing emblems of that, and they're taking pictures of it and selfies. And, the, and this is kind of the culture. And now they're starting what they call Satan clubs. And our legislation is giving them a right. In Pittsburgh right now, they're giving them the right to have Satan clubs in school. 
you know, our, our culture is, is gravitating towards this paganism because people are hungry, A, for the supernatural, but because they don't have a submission or acknowledgement of the truth, they're gravitating to something else. They're, they're trying to find something, something greater than themselves. And so it's getting to be a real mess out there. So we've got to continue to step up our game. We've got to continue to manifest who Jesus is through us. We've got to continue to manifest his power, his glory through us, and to continue to pray, God, use us. Use us in these environments. Because if we don't, that void that's out there, that, that you know, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it, it, it goes into dry places, and then it, it says, you know what, I'm going to come back to where I was. And, and what it looks at is, does that place have a new purpose? Does it have a new function? Yes, it may be empty. Yes, it may be clean. But does it have a purpose or a function operating in it that is pushing it, motivating it, driving it in the, a certain direction? Or is it idle? And if it's sitting idle, the Bible says it can come back in there and overtake it. And it'll bring back seven more wicked spirits than itself. And the latter end will be worse at the beginning. And that's kind of what we have to deal with in our culture right now. We have to, it's imperative for us to, to really say, God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Work through us in a powerful way. We've got to be that witness. You know, he said, when you be endued with empower from on high, you will be my witnesses. And that's what we have to do more and more in these dark days. So here we have the king Balak, and he's, he, you know, he's living in darkness himself. He's living in superstition. He's worshiping a God who, knows, who he knows can't really help him, can't really uh, make a big change here to give him the victory. He feels that he's going to be wiped out and annihilated by the children of Israel, and his God isn't going to be able to do anything to protect him. So he hears about this guy named Balaam. Now Balaam is in the land of Pether, which is near the Euphrates River. It's in the east. So they say roughly there's about three to 400 mile difference between where the children of Israel are at that point by the River Jordan and where Balaam is. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have technology. But somehow, three, four hundred miles away, a king knows about this prophet who has power. So that's, that tells me that there's something really legit going on with Balaam. Like Balaam really does have some type of a success. Because why would the king of the Midianites, why would the king of Balak send their messengers out there with, you know, 
with this proposal and have him travel. It was about a two to three week travel to get to him. So there was something significant within this. And so here they come to his house. As we look down here in verse uh, 8, it says that, uh, you know, they come to his house. And um, Balak, or Balaam meets him. And he says, you know, lodge here tonight. And I'm going to go to the Lord. And I'll bring back word to you tomorrow and let you know what the Lord says. So he gets him set up. Then God comes to him, verse 9. God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth, Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land. For the Lord has refused me, the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went back to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now at this point it looks like Balaam is, you know, he's doing good. You know, he goes to the Lord, he prays, the Lord says, don't go with them. And he tells them that and they go away. But he must, you know, you ever, you ever see uh, a kid where he wants to go out and do something and he goes to his mom and dad and says, can I go out with them? And they want to drive their bikes around on the street or run around at dark or, you know, something. And you, the parent says, no. So the kid comes out and tells his friends, my mom and dad won't let me go. That's kind of how he's telling them this. It's like, like he doesn't say, I cannot do this. This goes against my faith or this goes against my integrity or this is something that's not in my heart and I will not. He doesn't come out like that. He just says the Lord refuses to give me permission to go with you. So really, his heart is kind of being drawn. Because obviously, when you have a king, two kings, who are willing to give you a large sum of money to do something, it's pretty enticing. There's something to be gained here. Now, Balaam is kind of an interesting guy because he comes from the same country as Abraham, Haran. And he's, he's in, in, in this area, um, there is a very, 
There is a very, there is an openness to God, but there's an influence of other things. And, you know, obviously there's a gift of being a prophet that's upon him because he's hearing God, he's talking to God, he's, he's having some success, but he's also a sorcerer, a diviner. As a matter of fact, they actually found in that region, which is near the, the Jordan, they actually, or um, in, in the, the country Jordan, they actually found artifacts with an inscription on it. And it says, Balaam, the son of Beor. And then it goes, and they got it translated in 1976. And it, it talked about the, how do they say, the, the sadness or the, 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 the sorrow of the book of Balaam. Like, like it was a story of how things didn't turn out for him. But it's interesting that they actually found an actual artifact with his name on it, acknowledging that he was a real, real guy. But it also says on here that he was a sorcerer. So, you know, you got this guy, right, who's, who really knows that there's spiritual powers and entities, and he's made a connection with God, but he's also got a few other connections with a few other spirits at the same time. You know, and that's kind of a dangerous place to be, right? You don't want, you know, you want God to talk to you, but you don't, and you want to listen to God when he talks to you, but you don't want to listen to other spirits when they talk to you. But somehow he's been able to kind of navigate doing that, and he's, he's done some things to bless, and he's done some things to curse. Why would this king want him to come and put a curse if he didn't have a track record of being able to do that. So apparently he had operated in that. You know, and back then, God, of course, he winked at a lot of things. He's kind of like, ah, we'll correct that later. <laughs> we'll get that corrected later. So Balaam had a connection with God, but he also had a connection with some other things. So he was good, but he was bad. And, you know, he comes out and he, you know, the thing is, now we, we read on here, it says that these princes come back and they tell Balak that, you know, and again, this is a two to three week travel. It's through the desert. It's through the mountains. So, you know, it's not an easy thing. You know, we're just going to walk down the road here and come back with another proposal. So then they come back. Read down here a little bit further in um, verse 15, or verse 14, or no, excuse me, verse 15. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will certainly honor you greatly. And I will do whatever you say to me. In other words, what he's saying is, I got a blank check. You fill in the blank. Just come. Whatever you want. I'll give it to you. 
I mean, he's, again, he's full of fear. He's full of dread. He's a desperate man. He's living under a curse. He's living under false gods. And he thinks he's about to be destroyed completely by the children of Israel. So he's ready to give whatever. And he's communicating that. And Balaam feels that. Like, wow, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Like, you know, I've been doing pretty good. You know, I've got some servants. I've got a good ministry going on. I've got some fame, some recognition. You know, I'm good. But if I go with this, somehow we can work this out. I'm going to a whole nother level of greatness. And this is all working on his mind. So, now again, it looks like he's saying the right thing. Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. But then he says, but... Stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing because have you ever felt like God told you no, but you didn't really want to accept the no? I want to pray about it. You know, maybe I need to explain some things to God first. Maybe I need to give God some more, you know, more of my rationale here and, and some of the aspects that are pertinent and why this would be so important if he would just say yes. Has everybody ever done that? <laughs> but Lord, you don't understand. But Lord, you see, my need, my situation, my circumstance, this could really be a help. This could, you know. It's kind of like what he's doing. So he goes to God. Now this is where it gets real interesting. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. So God said no, but now God says okay, but you only say what I put in your mouth to say. You can go with them. Ooh, this is starting to look kind of good. He's starting to envision a little bit more of what this could be. How is this going to work out? I don't know. But all I know is I'm going. God says I can go. We're getting closer to the pot of gold here. So as they go, God's anger was aroused because he went. So that's interesting right there. Right? Like, like God told him he could go, and he's going. But now God's angry that he's going. 
So something's going on here. God's seeing something here that it doesn't look good. He's got to step in. He's got to deal with this. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. So basically what's going on is he's in the field or wherever and he's, you know, he's on his donkey and there's an angel of the Lord that's taking a stand. And the and as he's riding on his donkey, he has his two servants with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So here he's, you know, he's on his donkey, he's going good. All of a sudden the donkey's like, whoa! Donkey tries to go a different way. Balaam's like hitting that donkey. This way, pulling the reins. We've got to go this way. They're going that way. we got to go that way. Donkey's giving him a hard time. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. So it was probably a field stone wall. So now the donkey is trying to avoid, and he, he, he kind of goes into this narrow area like so. But now there's an angel standing like right where Carl is, and the donkey's, and the angel's got a sword out, and the donkey's like, you know, I, I don't want to get close. So the, angel, so the donkey is rubbing against the wall this way. Meanwhile, Balaam's foot is getting crushed against the wall. So now he's really getting mad. And he's given that donkey some extra wax. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood right there in the way. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down, and Balaam must have went down underneath her, and ang Balaam was angered, and he began to strike the donkey with his staff. So he's beating on this thing. Like, you blankety blank, and he's hitting it. And, and Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, and now I would kill you right now. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? He's like, he doesn't even think about it. He doesn't even think twice. How many of you have a pet at home? Like if, you're, if you got mad at your pet because they were doing something stupid or, you know, and you just yelled at them, and they start talking back to you. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you be like a little like, like, whoa, wait a minute. You wouldn't say, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> talking back to me like that. 
And he responds, no, no. I, I. And then what happened is the Lord opened his eyes. And he saw the angel standing there with the sword. And immediately he, he hits the deck face down. And the angel says, why were you hitting your donkey? <laughs> Interesting twist of events. Here you have the prophet, the seer, and he can't even see the angel. And here you have his donkey who sees the angel. And here you have the prophet who's supposed to speak, and here the donkey is the one that's speaking. But see, God had to step in there. He had to step in there and deal with Balaam's heart because he, Balaam had things going on in his heart and he had to stop and step right in there and give him a warning. I mean, this was, this was something serious. God was laying it out on him. He was saying, listen, you better do what's right here. You know, it's kind of like when the parents would lift up the shirt and pull it and show you the belt. I got a belt right here. I'm not afraid to use it. You're like, oh, I don't want that. Pull out the stick or the switch or the whip or whatever it is they had, right? Get that out and it would show you what they could do. And you're like, okay, all right, I'm going to behave now. Well, that's what God was doing. He said, listen, I'm going to take you out. If you go across against me, I'm going to take you out. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when now, again, it was interesting that God was going to let him go. Like, God could have taken him out. All God had to do was not let the donkey see the angel. That's all God had to do. That angel would have just took him out. That would have been the end of the story. But again, God was giving him a warning. God was trying to correct something in his heart. God was trying to deal with him. But it's interesting how the progression... First he's in an open field, then he's in a narrow path, then he's up against the wall, and then he's pinned down. You know, sometimes when we try to go against God, we kind of, it's kind of like that. You just, you feel like you got this resistance, right? And it feels like things just aren't working the way you were hoping. Things weren't falling into place the way you expected. All of a sudden... The, the, the path becomes narrower. It starts to become painful. It starts to become, uh, you know, things rubbing against your grain. You're getting upset. You're getting frustrated. Things aren't working the way they should. That's what, was, that's what happens a lot of times when people are going against the Lord in certain areas of their life. So now he gets to go ahead. He's got to, does a heart check. Okay, he goes. Meets up with the king. King is all excited. It's probably showing him some of the 
the, the rewards, the, the riches that he can have. He's getting them all, you know, charged up. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to give you, you know. And, and on the surface here, Balaam, you know, again, he just says, listen, king, I will only speak what the Lord puts in my mouth, what the Lord gives me. I can't do anything else. I can't say anything else other than what the Lord puts in my mouth. So it's kind of interesting because he made it very clear to Balak, but Balak, again, being superstitious, not understanding who God is, being in darkness, you know, he, it's interesting how the devil works sometimes. You know, he, he may come along with some type of temptation and it might be the reward or the appeal might be so big. But see, when he came back, he brought more princes that were more noble. He brought back a bigger reward. He brought back a bigger temptation. And so sometimes the devil will try to use certain angles to, to sweeten the pie, if you will. So we have to be careful of that. So now they're going to go ahead Balaam's going to speak his word. He's going to give his oracle. Balak takes him to a spot, as we read now in Numbers 23. And what they did is they built seven altars. I mean, this wasn't just, you know, go out and say a word or two. This was build seven altars. He had all these, he had to bring seven rams. He had to bring seven bulls. They had to go through the whole sacrifice. You know, there was killing and chopping and blood and all this going on. Seven of them. Then Balaam goes off to the side. Let me have a little alone time with God. See what the word is. Get a download. Then he come back and he say, I got the word. And then Balak would say, okay, stand over here. See them all. See all those Israelites down there? Stand here. Now, Go ahead. This, the mic is yours. And so then here comes the first word. And we find that in, um, in uh, verse, let's see here, chapter 23. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not wrecking itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. And this did not sound like a curse. This sounded like an acknowledgement of a blessing that was upon them, that I can't curse these people because God hasn't cursed them. So now Balak is... He's upset. He's like, he's, 
He's upset. He's furious. But he goes, okay, now listen. Here's the plan. Let me take you over to this other spot. So they go for a little walk. They bring all their rams and their bulls, and they bring it over to another spot. He says, okay, now, now we'll look at him from a different angle. Now let's try it again. So they put seven altars together. They put seven bulls on there. They sacrifice seven bulls, seven rams, go through the whole process. He goes off to the side. He says, give me a little alone time. Gets alone. God gives him a word. Gets a download. So now we come to the second time. Then he took up this oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness, and lifts itself up like a lion, it shall not lie down until it devours its prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Man, now he is now he's really livid. <laughs> That's not a curse. That's another blessing. But it's also a declaration of God's faithfulness, and God cannot lie, and God's going to do this, and God's going to raise them up, and they're going to be like a mighty lion, and this is what's going to happen. And this Balak guy, though, he's just so persistent. And this is kind of how the enemy is. Don't you, you know, the enemy just, he's persistent. He comes at you in different ways. He tried to tempt Jesus three different ways. So he takes, he goes to Balaam and he says, all right, now let's go to a different spot. Let's go over to a wilderness spot. Let's try it again. He doesn't get the idea, does he? He's not getting, the, he's not, it's not clicking yet. He's thinking maybe, maybe somehow I can get this guy to crack. Maybe, I know he, I know he was staring at the wealth for a long time. I know that he really wants it bad, and I just want to give him another opportunity. I think I can, I'll just talk to him a little bit more. Maybe I'll jingle a little bit more coin in front of him. I think I can do it one more time. So, he brings him to another spot. Now, what's interesting on this one, we go over to verse uh, chapter 24. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as other times to seek the use of sorcery. But he set his face towards the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and and saw Israel encamped according to the tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up an oracle and said, 
The utterance of Balaam, son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations. His enemies shall break their, he shall break their enemies' bones and pierce them with arrows. The bows, he bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who, who shall rouse him. Blessed is he. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. And now Balak is livid. He's striking his hands. He's having a, a, a conundrum. He's going berserk. He's like, this is, you know, I go through all this. I, I've lost four, uh, 21 bulls, 21 rams. We've wasted all this time, and all you've done is just bless them, bless them, and bless them. And he says, I'm not going to give you a penny. You're not getting anything. I'm giving you no honor, nothing. Then Balaam said, oh, uh, before I leave, I got a word for you. <laughs> so he took up the verse 15. So he took up this oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, son of Beor, the utterance of the man who sees whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the visions of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That prophecy was the prophecy that the Magi read. Hundreds of years later, the Magi read this and they knew that there was going to be a star coming out of Jacob. And it was that very prophecy that inspired them with seeing the star in the sky that inspired them to mount up with riches, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and travel from the east all the way to Jerusalem to look for this king who was prophesied by this great prophet named Balaam. And batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly, out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And then he goes on and he starts prophesying over Amalek and the Kenites. And, and basically, you know, it's not going to be good for any of these folks because they're all living in wickedness. They're all going to be punished. They're all going to die. So it doesn't look like anything happened. It doesn't look like Balaam did anything wrong. He just spoke what the Lord gave him prophesied, said what the Lord said. 
Now, what's interesting about this is there's a, to me, there's like a, a, a bit of a type and shadow. You know, the enemy wants to put curses on us. He wants to throw things at us. He wants to speak some curses over our lives. He wants to accuse us. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And so he's trying to find things that he can use to accuse us. But we have the blessing of God upon us. There's a blessing that's upon us. That blessing is the, the blessing that comes to us because Jesus took the curse that was against us and he nailed that curse to the cross. He took the handwriting of the ordinances that were against you and I that would condemn us in a minute. There was no way we could justify ourselves, but Jesus took that and he nailed it to the cross. Even though while we were yet sinners, even though we still didn't acknowledge him, he took that. So when we come into Christ, that come, becomes ours. That blessing becomes ours. And it's sealed with the Holy Spirit because he puts his spirit in us. And yet, so many people live feeling cursed. You know, Balak, he really had nothing to be worried about. Here he was full of fear and dread that Israel's were going to come in and take over his, his kingdom and destroy him. And God already told Moses, do not disturb, do not attack, do not fight the Moabites. God already told him that. But see, Moab didn't have that blessing upon him. He was living under a false god. So he was full of fear and dread. He thought his end was near. He didn't have that. And here he tried to get Balaam to speak a curse over the children of Israel, but he couldn't because the blessing of God, God told Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you, and I will bless them that bless you. God spoke it, and there's a blessing over us. See, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Because of this, God has raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. Now, honestly, when I wake up in the morning and get out of bed, I don't feel like I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm just kind of trying to just be seated. <laughs> get, my, get my scruples together. <laughs> But we're blessed. We're in this place. We're seated with him. And the enemy is trying to get curses on us. He tries to do different things. But he cannot override the blessing of the Lord upon us unless, and this is what happened in this story, Balaam, and you can read about this in Jude 1, 11, 2 Peter 4, 2.15, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. 
Balaam had a little meeting afterwards with Balak. And he said, listen, Balak, I told you from the beginning, when I speak a prophecy over these people, it's just going to be a blessing. That's all I can share. God's blessed them. I can't reverse it. I can't change it. I can't do anything different about it. You can't. I can't. It is what it is. But let me tell you a little something. If you send some of your virgins down there with no clothes on, you know, these guys are out there. They're, they see that. It's going to entice them. If you go down there and be friends with them, get real friendly with them, invite them over for dinner, pour out a little wine, pour out a little more wine, pour out a lot more wine, Get them all happy. While you're happy and celebrating and beautiful women are around and all this is going on, pull out a little incense. Pull out a little idol. Just say, hey, we're going to have a little, a little ceremony here in this festive moment. If you can get them to go into that, then that will open the door. That'll turn God against them. That'll leave them weak. It'll leave them vulnerable. It'll leave them in a place where you can weaken them and attack them. And so he taught Balak how God operates. And he taught, God, he taught Balak how, this, how the principle of this obedience and, and disobedience works and obedience. And gave him the understanding. And, and then you read in the very next chapter. The very next chapter. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited people to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. And it goes on to say how many died in a plague and et cetera, et cetera. So here's how the enemy works. He can't curse us because we're already blessed. So he tries to entice us, to get us into certain things, to get us to go after certain things, to submit to certain things. Because if, he, if we do that, then that gives him some legal access to come in and do some things and take advantage of us and weaken us. That's how the enemy works. But there was nothing that Balaam could do to speak a curse over us because we were blessed. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, that we are exalted in you. We thank you, Lord, that we're blessed in you. We thank you, Lord, that we're increased in you. Lord, that you've raised us up, Lord, that you've set us into a heavenly place, Lord. We're seated with you in heavenly places. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given to us and the authority and the power and the righteousness and the holiness, and you've set us apart for yourself. Lord, we thank you for that. Father, I pray that we would just continue to keep, our, keep ourselves in that place, Lord. Because the enemy can't touch us in those areas. 
wherever the enemy is trying to entice, wherever the enemy is trying to put a stumbling block before us. Lord, we thank you that the light in you can expose the stumbling blocks. The light that we have in you, Lord. The light that we have in you, Lord. The light that we have in you, Lord, will expose the stumbling blocks. And so we speak to the stumbling blocks that are trying to come against us. We command them to be exposed right now in the name of Jesus. We command those lying, deceptive stumbling blocks that try to subtly come in and subtly uh, entice our thoughts, our minds, and, 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 and draw our emotions and our feelings towards them. We take authority over that draw right now. We command those things to be exposed and to be terminated in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the, ex the light exposes the darkness. Lord, we thank you for the light that is exposing the darkness. Lord, we pray for our, for our city. We pray for, Lord, the surrounding area. We pray for our state and our country. Lord, we pray that light would come in. More light would come in through your people, Lord. That your people would see, Lord, that, that some of these things that were, were gravitating towards and, and accepting and allowing, Lord, their, their false gods, their, their idols, their lusts, so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, that you would help people to turn from those things, to repent of those things, so that your goodness and your mercy will follow us and will overshadow us and we won't fall into judgment. Mercy will triumph over judgment when we repent. And so, Lord, I pray that light would come right now. Light come to our capital Come to the capital in our state, in Madison. Come to the capital of our country, in Washington. Lord, I pray that light would come. I pray that you would send angels of light and exposure and some of this crooked, lying, deceptive and manipulative um, reasoning that is trying to uh, bring ideology that is just totally sinful, that is doctrines of devils. Lord, that you would expose that right now. Expose those things. Expose those things. Help people to see how foolish, how hurtful, how stupid some of these ideologies that are being pushed into our society, especially upon our children. Lord, we pray for parents and homes and families. Lord, we pray that you will have help parents, Lord. Help parents, Lord, that have uh, any moral fiber in them, any moral uh, consciousness, Lord. Father, we pray that you'd protect the moral consciousness of our, of our country, Lord, of our parents, of, our, of the mothers and the fathers, Lord. That that moral consciousness, Lord, would rise up Conviction, conviction would be stirred up by the Holy Spirit in the homes, in the parents, that they wouldn't just give their kids over to this 
debauchery, this wickedness, these, these demon spirits of lust, confusion, paganism. Lord, help them to see that. Wake them up, Lord. Stir a wake up, Lord, in our, in our communities, Lord, in our, in our cities, Lord, in our families, in our towns, Lord. Stir it up. It's there. It's, we're just seeing it one by one. We're seeing it just rampant in our, in our culture. Lord, I pray that you would expose the heart of these things. Expose the, the intent of it. Expose, Lord, how evil it's trying to mask itself. It's masking itself under all these, all these guys of, of, of being open-minded and being good and being free and all of that, Lord, but it's just bondage. It's destruction. It's death. Lord, I pray that you'd open up eyes to see. Lord, help our society, help our culture not to fall into this stumbling block. But Lord, I pray also for our churches. Lord, our churches, help our churches. Wherever, wherever the the doctrine of Balaam is, is being allowed into churches. Father, I pray that that would be exposed right now. Lord, you, you reached out to that church, Lord, and you told them that to repent of that, that it was there in their presence. So, Lord, I pray that your, your message would go forth into your churches today to uproot the doctrines of Balaam in our churches. Help our churches, Lord to teach holiness, righteousness, obedience to the truth. Lord, you said if we love the truth, if we love your word, we won't be deceived. So, Father, I pray that a love for the word of God would be rekindled in the churches. Lord, a hunger and a love for truth to be right and to walk in what's truth and righteousness, Lord, that that would stir in the hearts of your church, Lord, it would stir in the hearts of your pastors, Lord, it would stir in their hearts. Lord, you, you are the one that holds the stars in your hand, Lord. You hold these messengers into your hand, Lord, and you walk amongst the lamps, the churches. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move upon pastors. Move upon pastors, Lord. Move upon them, Lord. Help them to, to feel the sense of urgency now, Lord, to take a stand for righteousness. Lord, I know you said in your word that judgment first begins in the house of God because we're your church, we're your people. So, Lord, I pray that we would judge ourselves. I pray that we would judge ourselves. Lord, help us to judge ourselves so we will not be judged with the world. Help us to judge ourselves, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, this country was founded one nation under God. There were biblical principles that were incorporated, that were foundations, that were pillars to this nation. Father, I pray that those things would be resurfaced, renewed, rekindled. And that a spirit of repentance, a spirit of repentance, a 
spirit of repentance. Lord, pour out a spirit of repentance upon us, Lord. Pour out a spirit of repentance upon this land, Lord. Upon the people, Lord. Pour it out. A spirit of repentance, Lord. Lord, as your church, to just be bold, to be bright, to be strong in you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.